Hello and welcome back to the Alexander Schmidt Podcast. We're on the other side of January now and well into January 2018. Welcome to the new year and since it's a new year I thought I would start with a new subject and base a sort of introduction to what we'll be doing here. So I'm going to give a brief excursus on the evolutionary significance of biblical imagery from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and this will sort of set, set the basis for how it is that we're going to be interpreting both literature, society, or how we're going to interpret literature in conjunction with society, knowing, of course, that literature and society both come from the human mind and are therefore both arts of the human mind and therefore uh, connected in the deepest possible ways through, <clears throat> well, the same principles that structure both, that come from the human mind. So. Let's start with the tale from early Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve. And uh, for some background on this, if anything said seems particularly interesting or novel or new, I would recommend listening to the Maps of Beaming courses by Dr. Jordan B. Peterson because much of his research will be used in the analysis of these symbols because he, in conjunction with John Piaget, uh, Jacques Pinksepp, um, <coughs> Carl Jung, and contemporary cybernetics students like Ray Kurzweil as well as um, effective neuroscience students like Jeffrey Gray have done some very, very, very good work <clears throat> on the evolution of consciousness both within the context of a human life and in the context of the evolution of human society. So let's look at the story itself. So there's Adam, the first man, there's Eve, the first woman, there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and on that tree there is a snake. That snake offers a fruit to Eve, which she then offers to Adam, which then makes them both seem to be naked, which makes them hide from God, uh, which then leads to them leaving the garden with various uh, um, negative effects appending to their lives afterwards, not the least of which having Cain and Abel and having to endure the tragedy of one child killing another. So. Let's understand from an evolutionary perspective exactly what's happening in this story. First and foremost, why is it that Eve becomes conscious before man? Well, as Jordan Peterson says, most likely the case is, is that women became conscious before men did because what women do in human culture is they're the ones that guard, um, <clears throat> they're the one, they are allowed to be choosy maters, unlike, say, chimpanzees, for example. And so, in so doing, they uh, they enforce the selection mechanisms of the species, which suggests that if there is an attribute which humans embody, that it has been selected for through sexual selection by women. In particular, uh, what has moved human society forward, in fact, what creates society, that would be intelligence. Therefore, where did intelligence come from? Clearly women selecting for intelligent men, which is why the men became intelligent uh, second. In fact, Jordan Peterson says that this is sort of like an evolutionary arms race of intelligence using the theory of rates Ray Kurzweil of the law of accelerating returns, suggesting that the incremental growth in intelligence eventually becomes exponential growth. And that's how actually any evolutionary process happens, whether it be genetic or technological in nature, one simply being a faster version of the other. Um, <clears throat> the second part of this story, why is it that a snake guards the tree? Well, that's an old motif. 
That's the idea of the dragon guarding the treasure. In fact, you find this in multiple ancient stories. You find the Garden of the Hesperides in the Greco-Roman tradition where there are several snakes or a dragon guarding golden fruit. In fact, that uh, the golden fruit from the Garden of the Hesperides is in some oblique way responsible for starting the Trojan War, which is uh, what Homer sings about in the Iliad, which is the first song of the West, you might say. So uh, a snake guarding a tree with a fruit that you have to pay a steep price for is a part of two of our major traditions, at the least. Um, and, you know, snakes on trees also get into the German tradition as well with, of course, Yggdrasil and the Midgard serpent. So there's nothing too much too, there's nothing too unique in making that sort of claim. So, the next question would be this. Why is it that the fruit gives Eve the knowledge that she will die? Or why is it that it makes it so that she will die? Because the snake says, this does not make it so. And so, why is it, sorry for the break there, and so why is it that the snake says, that you will not die when you eat from this tree, Eve. Well, the, the, the thing is, is that what is it exactly that Eden represents? Well, Eden represents the initial state of unconsciousness that man must have been in for the first 140, 145,000 years of his existence. Why is it exactly that we don't have history or uh, technology? technological tools from those times, well, we just frankly didn't do a lot of development. And something that an evolutionary psychologist like Jordan B. Peterson might say for that is, or in response to that is, well, look at what chimpanzees do with the vast majority of their time. They spend, uh, since they have very poor digestive systems and a fairly poor diet, often eating leaves, of course, they do also eat uh, other smaller monkeys, they spend a lot of time sitting around doing nothing. And well, uh, if you take seriously the idea that a human in its going through its developmental stages, even within its life, goes through the stages that all humans have ever gone through, and you look at a baby human, in its first stages of life, it really doesn't do quite a bit or accomplish quite a bit. At the very first stages of both intellect and the development of society, which are the same sort of things, they're parallel occurrences, uh, much does not happen. And so this initial state of unconsciousness indicates the inability to even project forward and understand the future, because what is in the future? Obviously the death of all individuals. Um, so great. She becomes conscious and then she knows we're going to die. Well, you get kicked out of Eden when you become conscious. Why? Well, because you understand how things work to some extent. And well, what are the first things that we come to understand? Well, what is the punishment of, of woman? The punishment is that um, childbirth will be made painful. And so from an evolutionary perspective, what does that mean? Well, that means that because of our cortical development, the development of our intelligence within our minds, our brains, the organ of intelligence, had to become larger, which meant that our heads had to become bigger. Our head is the largest, most difficult part to pass through during birth, which meant that women's hips had to get larger and larger in order to accommodate our larger brains because of our increasing intelligence, which was more and more selected for as we progress and continues to be, frankly, which is why we progress as a technological society at a more and more rapid rate. So <clears throat> most likely that that might be more of a theory, but I, I think that there is evidence to back it up. So, well, eventually the hips of woman got 
large enough or so big structurally that were they to get any larger, it would be impossible for women to run and eventually to walk. So their hips have reached their structural limit in, in accordance with the nature of a human, which requires that a human walk, bipedal, and or run. So what literally is the case for women now, or actually is the case, that childbirth is both very painful and potentially very dangerous because of how intelligent humans are and how big their heads are, which can lead to complications at birth. Okay, second, what was the punishment of man? Well, the punishment of man was that he had to work. Well, what does that mean, exactly speaking? Well, one thing that we now understand about consciousness, that the consciousness is both a pattern recognition system that we developed based on seeing the patterns of the backs of snakes during the evolutionary arms race. We know this from Lynn and Isabel, and also uh, UCLA biologists, as well as <clears throat> uh, Jordan B. Peterson. Um, and so, Consciousness is used both to observe patterns, to um, observe anomaly, because of course originally, uh, and you can see this in rats as well as in other low conscious or non-conscious uh, creatures which do have motivational systems, that when two motivational systems are active, for example, the motivational system to reproduce and or eat, how is it that something chooses between these two motivational systems? Well, eventually, this happens enough times, a larger system develops that chooses between the motivational forces that is guided by what would be a later under, which would be something that would be a later abstraction, which is a value system. Um, and so basically consciousness develops in order to discriminate between differing motivations and creates a hierarchy or observes a hierarchy between them. And that's how choices, frankly, are made. But why is it that man has to work and suffers from it? Well, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson makes a really good point about this, I think, which is very interesting. And the point is this. <clears throat> the nervous system of women seems to be slightly less differentiated from that for men so that a woman is better at multitasking because from an evolutionary perspective, women spent more time with young children who were helpless keeping them from dying, feeding them, developing them to some extent. And Jordan B. Peterson suggests that this is why you find more fringe element men, you find more low IQ men than you find low IQ women, but you also find more, say, top-end high IQ men. And he has several statistics about, say, uh, uh, well, you know, one, <clears throat> he has several statistics about how in their 30s, often even top-level, highly intelligent ladies will end up leaving their profession because, well, they get, they get tired of it. But in any case, the idea becomes that with a nervous system split between the needs of the self and the young, the idea is that women have natural meaning in their lives <clears throat> because they bring life about, cultivate life, and, um, <clears throat> well, honestly speaking, what is a, what, what is a highest con what is a higher conscious value than, the, than continuing the great chain of being, you might say. But then where does that leave men? <clears throat> well, frankly speaking, the work of men, at least from an evolutionary perspective, seems to be that they have to find value in that which they produce in the world, um, which it's 
what is it that they produce in the world? What is their proper work? Well, it's that which is proper to man. What is proper to man? That which man has evolved over the most amount of time. That's intelligence. What is the proper product of man that helps him to be safe within the natural world? Well, that's society and all the implements of society. And so what is the natural work of man that gives meaning to his life? The production, implementation, and the protection of the tools and institutes of society. So whether that be laws, walls, uh, weapons, um, <clears throat> things to eat with, scientific innovations, anything and everything that you're surrounded with insofar as you're in a room is a product of human society and the work of those around you, whether it be your books, your desk, your lamps, which connected to the electrical system, or your toilets, which connected to your plumbing system, or your toothbrush, everything around you was created by intelligence and therefore has been the work that has been created by society, which is created by minds, which is created by the men and women around you. And so that um, that's how we'll be uh, perceiving these sorts of symbols. Um, <coughs> in the next podcast, we'll get into the parallelism between this Old Testament story and the New Testament story of, of Jesus, um, and just some small aspects of it. And just as a small teaser, for example, uh, take the medieval image of the Madonna holding the, di the dead Jesus, um, a very particular and uh, common image that you see both in Catholic cathedrals as well as in much, much, much medieval art. And so just as a, just as sort of a, um, a tantalizing first touch at that, one might understand that um, Mary in this instance, and Mary derives her name from Maria, which means the sea in Latin, which of course we know all, he, all creatures have come out from, the primordial, the first in rank, ooze. Um, well, what is she? Well, she's Mother Nature. She's that from which all life springs. And in particular, why male life? Why Jesus? Well, male life indicates intelligence, that which is thrown out into society, that which must work in order to have meaning. Um, and so, why is man created if he must die? Well, he's created so that he must die because man is not simply intelligence, which is immortal as far as we're concerned, because society, ever since it has begun with cave paintings, has progressed and maintained until this moment, suggesting that insofar as humans have been intelligence, intelligence has never disappeared from their society, even during our, our darkest age. Um, <clears throat> but intelligence wants to be immortal. But human beings are not immortal. Why? Well, that's because we're made from matter, and matter is subject to entropy. And entropy means that all physical systems, including our bodies, will eventually fall apart. So, how does man maintain immortal society and intelligence if, man, if particular men are always dying? Well, that's simple. Nature brings about new men to embody by learning that which has happened in the past, to acquire the ability to see the past and the present through awareness or intention. This is the eye on the back of the dollar bill or the eye of Horus. Uh, awareness, the highest virtue. Um, and, well, every single generation which has ever existed must produce an intelligent mind able to see the intelligence of the past, connect to it, and then add to it in the future. So what is it that the dying Jesus on the lap of the Madonna represents? Mother Nature bringing about the hero who will observe 
the intelligence of the past, embody the intelligence of the past, and embrace it in the present current circumstance, which is different because nature is constantly cha changing and so is one's environment, to embody it in the current possible situation so that one can imprint one's individuality on a universal form. You might also say that it is the image of God, which would be, or, or, which would be of, of Jesus on the cross, which is the individual human on the form which is eternal, the conjunction of that which is individual and universal. And we can't get into this too much now because we're almost done with this first podcast, but welcome back to the Alexander Schmid podcast. If you have any questions, I know this is all very um, interesting and obscure um, symbolism, uh, please do call in, leave your comments, uh, do subscribe, and we'll be producing more and more content, and uh, especially in these early stages, I'll be responding to any and all questions that I can. Thank you very much for listening in, and have a wonderful Saturday.